Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. One of the greatest indicators, I believe, of the spiritual position or the, or, or, um, the, the, the spiritual health, rather, of a community is the temperature of its worship. I tell you what, how many of you have been in a place in your life when you, you know, you've, you've kind of just been distracted? Maybe things are even going fairly well. You know, there's not too much to complain about. And, and so you're just kind of apathetic about worship. Maybe not apathetic completely, but just a little bit less engaged. It's like something that you don't quite feel you need this week. You know, you've had a good week. It's just like, it's just, okay, I'll just go worship. But how many of you know that when, when, when something big is going on in your life, especially, I've actually found that my most passionate worship has come in my deepest times of trouble. Because it's when you're reminded again of how much you truly need Jesus, that all of a sudden there's no playing games. You recognize your need for a Savior. You recognize your need for grace. And in those moments, so many times in my life, I have stood in worship with tears pouring down my face, just completely being overwhelmed by the reality and the goodness of my Savior. See, when, when people understand their need for Jesus, the temperature, the vibrancy of worship will begin to rise in the room. And the Bible actually talks about unbelievers. It talks about worship services and, and people that are filled with the Spirit. And it speaks about how unbelievers will walk in and will say, surely these people are meeting with God. God is real to them. And so sometimes I think we need to be, we need to actually speak to our own souls and our own minds about how easily di distracted we could be, but wondering about all the different things, including what you're going to have for lunch today, when you actually have an audience with the creator of heaven and earth. When, you, when there are certain things that, that you can experience, that you can share, that you can pray about, that you can sing about, certain truths that you can declare over your life in worship that you aren't doing because you're too distracted. And so that's why when we say Anchor Church is home and that this is home, it's because every week we get to gather together again and be reminded of who we truly are. You know, that's the one thing about home. You can fake it everywhere else. But when you go home and you pretend to be something you're not, your siblings or your mom or your dad or somebody will look at you, maybe even your gardener, and be like, what are you doing? Why are you being weird? We know who you are. You can be you here in this space. And sometimes when we go out and we live our lives there, we, we pursue things that, that get us thinking differently about ourselves. But when we come home, we can know who we are. And we can know whose we are. And we can begin to worship our Father together. And some amazing things happen. And so we've always wanted to be the kind of church that has vibrant worship. Vibrant. What does it mean to be vibrant? Well, we spoke last week about vibrant prayer. And today I want to talk to you about vibrant worship. 
vibrant worship. Worship that is filled with the presence of God, where we're not just assuming God's presence. Oh, we think God is here because, you know, shouldn't he be there? It's church, you know, shouldn't, shouldn't Jesus be there? No, we're not just assuming God is present. We're actually experiencing his presence. We're, we're uh, just saturated in the presence of God. And we can actually tangibly encounter Him. And those that don't know Him can come and encounter Him. And so I want to share a message today entitled Vibrant Worship. I'm going to pray for us um, and we'll get into this a little bit. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we want to thank You this morning that we can come together as Your children. That we can come home today. That we can sit here, Lord God, not just to be religious, not just to go through the motions, but to actually encounter the Spirit of God today. I pray for those that feel far from God. It's a feeling, it's not a truth. And I thank you, God, that you will draw close to them in this moment so that they will tangibly experience your presence right now. Those that are discouraged, those that feel distant, Lord God, we thank you that you will encourage them. That you, we thank you that you are the lifter of our heads and that you're going to lift our heads this morning. Not only are you going to lift our heads, but you're going to speak to our hearts. We pray, Lord God, that you will shape us as a community that is vibrant and that vibrantly loves to worship you. We give you all the glory for that in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody shouted and said, amen. amen. Come on. Um, so on the 21st of December, 1968, three men became the first three people in history to leave the orbit of the earth and head towards the moon. The first ever space flight to the moon to orbit the moon itself, Apollo 8, launched on the 21st of December, 1968. It took them a few days to get to the moon. And when they eventually got to the moon, they orbited around the moon on Christmas Eve, 1968. And, and they became the first ever people to witness and photograph and earth rise. So we will see the sunrise, we'll see the moon rise, but it takes getting off of our planet to see an earth rise. And these three guys had the privilege of being the first three people ever to see that. They picked up their cameras and one of them, one of the astronauts, his name was William Anders. He took a, a photo, an incredible photograph, the first time this had ever been photographed of the earth rising over the moon's surface. This photograph was described by prominent photographers, nature photographers, as the most influential environmental photograph ever taken. The most influential image. Imagine being off of our earth, not on Google Maps, where you zoom. Have you ever done that? I'm sure you have. You just zoom out, zoom out. How far can I go with this thing? How amazing is this? Who sends a Google car to Saturn? But imagine actually seeing that with your own eyes as you round the dark side of the moon and the earth begins to come up on the other side. The most influential environmental photograph ever taken. All inspired by the magnitude of this moment. Like what do you do when you witness something like this? These men decided to put down their cameras and to pick up the Bible. And each of them, in turn, started reading Genesis 1. 
as the earth lay on the horizon. Incredible moment as they witness the first ever earth rise. The Apollo 8 spacecraft in that moment was transformed momentarily into a Christian pulpit. Man's most impressive technological scientific achievement to date was instantly absorbed in the declaration of God's creative act. No matter how much we were able to achieve, no matter how much humanity here at the pinnacle of scientific achievement and human endeavor, here at the very climax of everything we can do as people, it's overshadowed in an instant by what only God can do as the sovereign God. And so they put down their cameras. They're not thinking science anymore. They're not, they're not thinking of, of all the technical things going on anymore. They pick up their Bibles and they begin reading, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So much greater. Apollo, the most dashing of the pagan Greek gods, in that moment bowed down in worship to God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. The astronauts did what a lot of people spontaneously do when they recognize something greater than themselves. They worship. What I'm trying to tell you this morning is that worship is not just something that we come and do on a Sunday because it's the tradition. It's not just a song that we sing. It's not just a, a, you know, a, a practice that we participate in as a community of faith. No, worship is actually something that is very deep. It is foundational to your life. It is at the core of who you are. It's when you as the creation recognize the creator, the presence of the creator. When you understand your origins, where you come from, it tells us that, that, that Jesus, knowing who he came from and where he was going, was able to endure. It's when you come to the core of your identity, your value, the, the person that you are, why you're alive, why you exist, that you begin to worship. Jesus spoke to the woman at the well who had, who had been through much brokenness. And her first question was, how should I worship? And Jesus tells her, that the time is coming when it's not about the place you worship in. It's not about, and he was talking about the disputes about religion, but, but that true worshipers wouldn't just want to, to take the right form of worship, but that they would experience the heart, that they would embody the heart of worship. The time is coming and is now here, Jesus says, when true worshipers will worship the Father both in spirit. It's a spiritual act, not just a religious one, not just a physical one. A spiritual act and in truth. Why in truth? Because it's based on the truth of who God is and the truth of who we are in light of what Jesus has done. So, so this, is, this is way deeper. And it's moments like this that, that we begin to, when the soul recognizes its creator, that we begin to truly, spontaneously worship. We give ourselves, we surrender, we submit. Worship is more than just what we sing, it's how we live. 
It's every day. It's in the choices we make. It's in the journeys we take. It's in the, it's in the way that we forgive. It's in the way that we give. It's in the way that we love. It's in all these things that we do as we, as we walk after God and follow after Jesus. Each part of that is a form of worship. The Bible tells us that our reasonable act of worship is to live our lives as living sacrifices. Not everybody was happy about this Bible reading on Christmas Eve. Not everybody was chuffed. There was one very scary lady, Madeleine Murray O'Hare, who was famous and has become famous and infamous. She was an American activist who was the founder of American Atheists. And she saw it as her mission in life to liberate the world of religion or from religion. She saw it as her job to discourage faith in others and to elevate the merits of humanism. That's all we have left really, isn't it? If you get rid of our faith, what do you have? Well, then you only have you. They say the worst moment in an atheist's life is when they're feeling grateful or thankful and have no one to thank. G.K. Chesterton said, if there were no God, there would be no atheists. See, this is, this is something that, 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 that our humanness or our humanism pushes against because we want to do it for ourselves. Robert Capon says, spare me the indignity of this indiscriminate grace. Sometimes grace says, no, you're not going to do it for yourself. We're like, no, I want to do it for myself. I want the, the personal dignity to be able to save myself. And grace says, no, you can't. And then we say, you know what? Rather punish me for my sins. I'd rather be punished. At least I can say I did it by myself. And so as much as we hate the law, we despise grace even more. It's death to self because it says, you're not the one who saves you. Jesus is. Faith is death to self. Madeleine Murray O'Hare, who famously fought a legal battle to keep prayer out of schools, was absolutely livid. She called it unfair. You know, at that time, the whole world was a classroom. This is the first ever space flight to the moon. And so the recordings and the conversations between Mission Control and the Apollo 8 spacecraft are being transmitted live over the air. And for days now, people have followed from the launch all the way, all the scientific jargon. They're learning about it. They're talking about it in schools. It's what's getting discussed around the water cooler in the office. Everybody is talking about the space mission. Three men are on their way to the moon. Everybody wants to know the science behind it and, 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 and all the, the knowledge and they're marveling at the knowledge and skill of the astronauts. This is the pinnacle of human achievement. It reminds me of people in the book of Genesis when they got together and they said, is there anything that we cannot do? Is there anything the human spirit can't prevail over if, if, if we put our minds together to do it? Madeleine Murray O'Hare herself said, atheism is a very positive affirmation of man's ability to think for himself, to do for himself, to find answers to his own problems. And so this was the very greatest proclamation of that, declaration of that that had ever been made up to that point. 
the most significant human achievement to date, a triumph in human ingenuity. And then with the whole world listening, these three scientists chose instead to read a con an ancient confession of faith in that moment. In the beginning, Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Colbert, the famous theologian, described these first, words in, these first words in Genesis as entering the strange new world within the Bible. Those first few words shape how we live. What you believe about those first three words shape, about, shape how you live every day. They shape your worship. They shape your decisions. They shape your values. Those first three words. In the beginning... God. He predates everything. He is the uncreated one, the self-sufficient one, the one who, is, who has no beginning and has no end. He is the first and the last, the alpha and the omega. No one created God, but God created all things. In the beginning, God was already there. The beginning of time. The eternal and sovereign God who has no end and no beginning. Those first, in the beginning God, in the Hebrew it's Bereshit Elohim. In the beginning God. And then it says, Bara, created. He's the creator. He's the sovereign creator. He's the one that put everything, the prime mover, the ultimate cause, that put everything else into motion. And then he, he fashioned mankind out of the dust of the earth. And the Bible says that then God does something incredible after creating the whole world. He steps up to the first man, Adama. And he breathes into him, though he is just dust, the breath of God the Ruach Spirit of God. And so you want to know why every single human being, when they die, will continue to live. Whether that's in heaven or in hell. Why do we keep living after, after death? Well, the Spirit that is in you is from the Spirit of God. It is the uncreated Spirit. It doesn't have a beginning and an end. God put His Spirit in us because that was the only way we were going to be able to have relationship with Him. And so being alive on this earth means more than being physically alive. Some of you have been fasting with us these, this past week and you've been wondering if you're going to stay physically alive. <laughs> but it's more than physical life and that's actually what fasting reminds you of. We're ready to conquer the world until we miss a meal then nobody must talk to me because I'm hangry. One meal and our power, our strength, our bravado is all gone. It's a reminder of the fact that we need the kind of food that Jesus spoke of when every word of God becomes the food that we consume that gives us the strength to live this life. We exist today because the, the author of all life chose for us to exist and gave us his spirit. You know what God then did? He declared it good. 
He said, all of it is very good. Hasamayim wa'et ha'arez, the heavens and the earth. He created bara, the heavens and the earth. Everything we know and see was created by the God that we were worshiping this morning. Everything. You see, the scientifically trained astronauts were not threatened by this truth, but the atheist was. The, the, the reality of God as our creator is not a threatening aspect to a scientist. It's an enthralling one. It's the atheist who has a problem because the atheist doesn't want to find something greater to worship than him or herself. You see, for Madeleine Mario here and all many, many people, they don't want another God when they've already set themselves up as God. The whole New Age movement's motto, if it had one, would be, we are gods in the becoming. We're our own gods. We don't need another God. As a human race, we can usher in a utopian era, the age of Aquarius. How's that going in the year 2022? How is that going? I would say it's a failed experiment. It has been from the very beginning. So we're quick to judge the atheists, though. And if you're an atheist here this morning, we love you legitimately. We're glad that you're here. But we're quick to judge people who do not believe as faithless, as dishonoring of their creator. But how often do we live our lives, even though we claim to be believers, in exactly the same way? How often do we do exactly what the people of Israel did when they worshiped the work of their own hands over the work of God, rather than the creator of all things. In fact, after God had miraculously through the plagues and by splitting the Red Sea and by leading them by a, with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire brought them to Mount Sinai where the whole mountain shaked and there was flashes of lightning and the clouds descended upon the mountain and God went, uh, went down to that mountain to meet Moses to give him the direction for the people of Israel as they traveled through the wilderness and into the promised land. And in the shadow of that mountain, what do they do? They build an idol. Out of what? The jewelry they took out of, off of their own ears and off of their own fingers and around from their own necks. They fashion an idol and begin bowing down to it and worshiping it as the God that delivered them from Egypt. But you just made it 10 minutes ago. How could it have delivered you from Egypt? And I love Aaron. Aaron is actually the head of this whole debacle. Moses' brother. Talk about failing your brother. Family issues. Moses comes down. He's so upset. He smashes the Ten Commandments. He goes up to Aaron. He says, what is happening here? I've been, I leave you alone for five minutes. And you guys are all, you know, worshiping a cow. And Aaron says the best line ever. I love this. He says, you know what? We just put the gold together in the fire and this thing emerged. <laughs> like we were just smelting gold for fun and this thing came out. So we worshiped. <laughs> I can just imagine Moses just looking at Aaron for a very long time. 
Like you're talking rubbish. And again, we can look down on the people of Israel, but church, we still do it. We worship the works of our own hands. How much money can I make? How much, how much can I achieve? What can I build? What kind of a career? What kind of a, a legacy can I make? Even how religious can these two hands be? If I raise them up like this, if I put them in my pocket to give, wow, look how amazing this hand is. And I begin to worship the religion or the, the work of my own hands as opposed to worshiping God. And Jesus says, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Now, that is not the kind of church that we want to be. Amen? We don't want to go through the motions with no heart. You know, when somebody's got heart, they might be fumbling all over the place, but people will still applaud them because like, man, they are in love with what they're doing. We want to we wanna be in love with Jesus and have that be the, the thing that drives our worship in every moment. When we worship things that are not worthy of the worship, it's called inordinate worship. It's out of place. You have forgotten that in the beginning, God. That's what you've forgotten. You thought in the beginning, you, and then later God came along. In the beginning, career. In the beginning, money. In the beginning, relationships. In the beginning, husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, whatever. In the beginning, anything other than God. Inordinate. It will disorganize your life. It will cause some things to get lost. And some things will get broken. When we don't go in the beginning, God. When we don't make Jesus first and center of our lives. When we don't structure everything else around Him and the values that He has brought us through the Scriptures. When we begin giving more weight to things than what they deserve and worship what we fashion with our own hands because ultimately we want to be our own saviors. We want to do it for ourselves. This is why people become religious because their religion says we can do it, but grace says no, you can't. Jesus does it. We want to worship our own abilities. And again, on this spaceship, on this spacecraft in 1968, the greatest moment of human achievement, these three men witnessed something that causes their own man-made efforts to absolutely pale in comparison to the creative act of the sovereign God. When Abraham felt that he couldn't receive anything from God, when he felt like God was not going to answer his prayers. How many of you stood, and you don't have to put up your hand, but stood in worship this morning saying, God can do it for others. I've heard that he's promised this and that, but he's not going to do it for me. Well, when Abraham said that to God, God brought Abraham out of his tent. Where Abraham had been standing in his tent and he's only looking at man-made things. God said, come outside and take a look at the stars, very much like these men 
on that spacecraft. Take a look at the stars. See if you can number them. And God said to Abraham, I am your shield. I'm your exceedingly great reward. So shall your descendants be. You see, sometimes we've got to take our eyes off of our, our circumstances and lift them up to the skies to see again what these men saw. There is a creator. I love that song we sang this morning. Who can stand against the Lord Almighty? Who can stand against him? Have, have you forgotten who it is that you're worshiping? Have you forgotten? I love this song uh, I heard recently by Brian and Katie Torwalt called Remember. And in the song, it says, Oh, my soul, remember who you're talking to. The only one that death bows to. That's the God who walks with you. Lest we not forget the voice that's holding back the waves was once the voice that told the skies to pour them into place. Let us join the endless song of everlasting praise, the only God who empties graves. Church, that's who we worship when we get together on a Sunday morning. There's no small amount of power in this room. There's no small amount of potential in this room. When God is present, the dead are raised. When God is present, miracles are commonplace. When you have a faithful people, look at what happened in the book of Acts. When people got together and worshipped and prayed, the place was shaken by the power of God. There's boldness that arises in our hearts. And, and that's what we really want to express. The lives that we live daily, we give expression to it. But we need to remember where we come from. We need to remember what Jesus has done for us. And so God, after having done everything to create the world, the Bible tells us in Genesis 2 verse 3, that He had created for six days, and on the seventh day, He rested from all the work that He had done in creation. And he blessed that seventh day and made it holy. The word for holy there is, is it's actually a verb that we don't have in English, but the best word that we have is hallowed, revered. As Jesus taught his disciples to pray, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, let it be recognized as holy. Let it be reverenced. And so the Sabbath, God instituted in the Old Testament for people to come together once a week and remember that it's not the work of their own hands that's brought them to where they are. To recognize again and to worship and to surrender to the Creator. And so the Sabbath is, is something that, that has always fascinated me, the Sabbath. And, and so Paul goes on in, in Romans and he says, you know, one, one person esteems one day like a Sunday above the rest. Another day esteems every day alike. However you want to appropriate that Sabbath in your life is, is, is your decision in terms of how you worship God. But here's one thing that God says. The importance of the Sabbath is it's about taking time to be reminded of what God has done for you through Jesus. So in John 1 verse 1, it tells us, it almost echoes Genesis. And it says, in the beginning was the Word. It was Jesus. In the beginning, right there in all things. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, the Word. Jesus. 
And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him, not a thing that was made, was not a thing made that was made. That's a confusing scripture. Was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. In verse 14 it says, and this word, this in the beginning God became flesh and dwelt amongst us and we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, what God did after our separation and sinfulness and betrayal of the truth in the Garden of Eden and, and humanity coming under the influence of sin and self-worship, Jesus arrived to deliver us once and for all from self-worship, from the worship of self, from the idolatry of self. How? By bringing us grace forgiveness and reconciliation by allowing us to rest from our striving to be God. Some of you are tired and exhausted and burnt out because you've been trying to save yourself and the message of the scriptures is you don't have to because Jesus has already saved you. In Colossians it tells us in verse 2 in chapter 2 verse 16 it says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to festival or new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things that are to come. They were just, they were a foreshadowing, a prophecy of Jesus. The substance of the Sabbath belongs to Christ. In other words, Jesus is the Sabbath because he is the one that causes us to rest from our works, even as God did from his. And so worship is rest. Just like we spoke about last week, prayer being rest. Jesus is the one that gives us rest from trying to save ourselves. And to declare again, God, you are God and I'm not. You are God and I'm not. I want to tell you this morning, whatever you're going through, whatever situation you're in, whatever problem you're facing, whatever your circumstances look like, the good news is, you'll find that the God that you believe in is bigger than the circumstances that you face. No matter how monumental the moment, perhaps even of failure today, of suffering, of brokenness, as you see the earth rise on the, from the other side of the, the, the dark side of the moon, as you see that earth rise, you'll remember I have a creator who is sovereign over all things. And you know, every single time that we get together on a Sunday morning, we get to see an earth rise. We get to marvel again at the majesty of Jesus. We get to understand that he is bigger than the fears we harbor. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So to worship is to rest. To worship is to remember it's to declare the greater truth of who God is over any other truth that may exist. To fix our eyes on our Savior and to find our courage and our strength in Him again. And Anchor Church, as we do this together, it's one thing to do it by yourself and that's powerful and you should do that as a lifestyle. The Bible says in Ephesians 5 that that we make melody constantly in our hearts towards the Lord. You see, the melody starts here before it comes out here. 
And so every day, if you, if you find me any minute that I'm alone or by myself or driving in the car, I'm either praying or singing some old song. I've got like three that I cycle. I'm pretty sure Jesus is sick of hearing them. They're old, old songs. There is none like you. <laughs> no one else can do what you do. Spirit of the living God. Songs I just begin to sing when I'm, when I'm driving alone in the car. Lord, you are more precious than gold. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. These old songs just come straight from my heart. Like I'm not even thinking about the lyrics. I'm just expressing. I'm just connecting. So it starts there, but there's also something powerful that happens when we come together and we worship corporately together. One heart, one mind, we begin to stand and tangibly experience the presence of God. Psalm 22 verse 3 says, yet you are holy. There's that word, hallowed, revered, remembered, put in your rightful place. In the beginning, God, enthroned on the praises of Israel, enthroned. You know that when we come together, it's not like God gets off the throne until we worship and then He gets back on. But you know that in your personal life, you could have dethroned God at some point. Not that He is no longer God, but that you're not, you're making yourself God instead. And when we come together and worship, you know what happens? God takes His rightful place in our lives again. We're able to say, Lord, I surrender, I submit. The King James Version says God inhabits the praises of His people. So it's how we put God first. It's how we put Him in the center. We submit to Him again. We find rest again. We remember again. And then this becomes a lifestyle. A lifestyle of living in the knowledge and the goodness of God. And honestly, whenever I've felt distracted in worship, because even though I'm the pastor, Sometimes I'm standing up front here and I'm distracted. I'm texting the team. Hey, can we just drop the vocals a little bit? Can we just raise the, the, the bass? Can we add a little bit of bottom end? You know, whatever it might be. And if I need to get back into worship, true, when it's in my heart and it's connected, you know how I do it? I just think about how good God has been to me. I just think about all the good things that He has done for me. I just think about His love that never ends, that never fails, that is steadfast, no matter what happens, that even when I'm faithless, He remains faithful. And then in an instant, I am shifted back into true worship. It's His goodness that brings us to this point of worship. I want us to be a church that understands what Jesus has done for us, how great His grace is, and then to vibrantly worship Him together. So I want to encourage you. You don't have to play it small here on a, on, a, on a Sunday morning when you're worshiping God. Because as you declare the greatness of God passionately, others are encouraged by your worship as well. And any unbelievers will come in here and they'll go, these people truly believe in the God that they worship. We have some friends here today. It's the first time I've been preaching to guys in hard hats. But you know, this morning they were working in the construction site next door here and they heard the music and they said, can we come in and worship? And before any of you were here, the two of them were here worshiping full out to our band rehearsals.
Come on. If I was an unbeliever, I'd go to one of them and go, what is it that you know that I don't know? They came back for church and worshiped again. You see, there's, there's something that builds up on the inside of you where you can't wait to just give voice to, out of gratitude for everything that God has done for you. And Anchor Church, I'm believing that as we move forward, we will find strength, encouragement, rest and remembrance in the midst of our worship corporately together. Amen? Let's be a church that worships passionately because we know in whom we have believed and we've been persuaded. Amen. Amen. Won't you stand with me this morning?